This is Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast. day bonus tracks listener comments album facts and outtakes i'm eric paul johnson and i'm eric winsenson and this is another bonus tracks episode this one is about on the third day if you're just showing up and you haven't gone through the last 20 something episodes what a bonus tracks episode is we read the comments that have been left behind about the songs that we just finished covering in the last album so Let's get to the comments. Those letters, I love those letters. Let's find out what you got to say. Oh boy! Mailman, mail today. Dixie, this, my head wants to do a million things at once, but I only got one mouth. So Dixie replied, what's that? (laughs) <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> There's something to be said for a deviant lifestyle. So for our bonus track episode of Electric Light Orchestra 2, we discussed about people who stand during concerts, which bugs the hell out of me. Dixie. And me. Yeah, and Eric. Dixie wrote, No! Never sit down at any Jefflin ELO Orchestra concert. Make it an event. Give it atmosphere. Well, I don't like people's butts in my face as atmosphere. If you're going to stand, stand between songs to applaud, then sit your ample, and most of these people at these concerts, old ass down. Definitely. <laughs> Let's move on to Showdown. Okay. Sarah Davidson says, You missed this great unusual cover. I did check out this link last night, and I liked it. It's a version of Showdown that I liked. You actually liked it. Okay. Wow, she liked it. I'll need to check that out then. Aaron Jansen. Yeah, Jeff lost royalties because of the similarity between Showdown and Heard It Through the Grapevine. But the table turned years later for him. The Hives released a song called Go Right Ahead, and it eerily sounded like Don't Bring Me Down. He got a cut of that song royalties. I guess what goes around comes around. These days it would be hard not to nick someone else's tune in one form or another. agree with that because yeah no matter how creative you try to be rock and roll and well rock music i should say has been around for so long now that it's about where jazz was back in the 70s and 80s where yes there's still some talented people around but you can just see it fading yeah because it's going over the same ground over and over again even even with the better bands these days you hear it and go hey this band sounds like such and such and you kind of find that a little bit exciting that the fact that they actually knew who the other band was enough to copy him yeah (laughs) james b mort says excellent lp cheryl newman i've been listening to them our podcasts i've been listening to them one a day at bedtime will be my medication my last treat before lights go out i love you i i didn't check the listener numbers i meant to do this but last time i checked we're about like 150 listens away from 8,000. Which I was just, when I had, yes, because when I conceived of this idea back in November, I thought, eh, is anybody going to listen? And now we're like six months in and we're getting up to 8,000 listens, so apparently people will listen. 
Well, we're doing more than just streaming of 4,000 then. Yes, yeah, so 4,000 <laughs> squared? Would that make it 8,000? <laughs> no, 4,000 squared would be, would six, be 16. Would be uh, 16,000. Yeah, I'm not a No, math. we're just we're just uh, doubling. Yeah, I'm not a math magician. On to Oh No Not Susan comments. Aaron Jansen says, I bought on the third day when I was 13 or 14. It took me a few years to notice the F-bomb. It totally caught me by surprise. I can see how the BBC had missed it. I remember my mom not liking this album as much as El Dorado, which didn't make any sense to me as a teenager, but now as an adult I realize that most of the album wasn't really anything special. I still like it though. To me, up to this point, ELO had just gotten better and better with every album. El Dorado was when Jeff hit his peak, and every album after that were just as consistent. I would have to agree. Mark Herring, I've been waiting to see how you'd handle this one. It's not my favorite, just wanted to see how you two would handle Jeff's F-bomb in it. Well, we handle it... Pretty effing well. Pretty effing well, yes. Christopher Yarmer says, I've never heard of this song. Well, there you go. We're doing our job. We're enlightening people about ELO and songs in their catalog that nobody knew before. Well, la-dee-frickin-da! So, New World Rising, Ocean Breakup Reprise, Jean-Paul Azuro. I'm going to guess it's Jean. I just like how it sounds better than Jean-Paul. Jean-Paul Azuro just came across your podcast. Blown away to learn more about my favorite band ELO and Jeff Genius Lynn. Thanks. Well, cool. Uh, just a gog that so many people are finding it and listening to it and like it. Now, spread the word. Tell everybody to listen. Share the link. And if you give us ratings on iTunes, you don't have to type out some big long review. Give us stars, preferably five. If you have to type a review, if it says you got to, just all you got to do is type great podcast. Love it. Eric Paul Johnson has a sweet ass. It doesn't have to be long, just something simple. And the more ratings we get, the more attention iTunes gives it and the more it gets noticed by other people. So, help an ELO brother out. On to Daybreaker. MJ Fold says, Okay, I listened to both. Well done. I have no drive to watch the porno, but always enjoy Daybreaker, a song that always makes me happy, even though someone once pointed out a similarity to Everlasting Love in parts of the song that I always notice now. So when he said listen to both, he listened to the podcast about Daybreaker, and he listened to my other podcast where I do movie reviews, and one of the movies I reviewed was Debbie Does Dallas. Um... In, in the Six Minute Critic, I don't review porn movies. That's not what the whole thing is about. It's, I was just starting, and I was I put on Facebook, Hey, people, what movies should I watch and review? And somebody said, Debbie Does Dallas. And I was like, you know, Trolls. I've, I've never, I've, as popular as that movie is, was, or is well known, I've never seen it. And I've always been kind of curious. And my curiosity was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know what they say about curiosity and the cat. Yeah, yeah. You can go listen to that. Six Minute Critic. It's on Podomatic. There's a whole bunch of movies there, and it's uh, it can be a hoot sometimes. Yes, it can be. I have listened to it myself, and it is a really good podcast, and poor Eric Paul has even watched a Ted V. Michaels film. Yeah, that was, uh, what was that, Astro Zombies? That was Astro Zombies, and Ted V. Michaels is not something for an amateur to try and sit through bad or cult films. That was so awful. <laughs> and as for Everlasting Love, I never noticed that. I'll have to go back and listen to see if they jibe. I've never noticed that before. I never noticed that either. Yeah, I heard more of what we talked about in the actual podcast in it. So so uh, the next comment is about Daybreaker, and it's from some oaf named Eric Winsensen. <laughs> the word is contemporaneously. Keep in mind, Eric W. doesn't always get his coffee before doing the show. So True. <laughs> That's how I come up with some word like contemporaneously. <laughs> yes, I sound like a drunken idiot. So, contemporary. It's it's yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna need to rehearse that word a lot to be able to say it. Yep, contemporaneously is the actual real word I meant to use. Right. I'm just glad I didn't say irregardless or something. <laughs> I'm in no mood for your nincompoopity. Michael S. Mullen says. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> bunch of exclamation points. If, if you know the band, you'll get the joke. <laughs> I was wondering if there was a podcast. Good on you, sir. 
If there are 40 KISS podcasts, I'm sure the market could handle one devoted to ELO. And that was my thinking. ELO, everybody's loving ELO now, and I go and search for ELO podcasts, podcasts dedicated just to ELO. And all I would come up with were episodes of podcasts that just spent one episode talking about ELO. And I'm like, for cereal? And I just kept thinking for a long time, maybe I should do my own podcast. And I was like, eh, you know, I don't really want to put in the effort. And then November hit, and it's like, I think I'd like to do this now. So now there's an ELO podcast, and the world should be flocking to it because we're the only ELO-centered podcast that I know of. Yes. Ma 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 Bell, Corey Gomo said, I listen to them all, the podcast. So a lot of people are listening. Excellent. Now that we're in the Ma 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 Bell, before we go forward here, definitely check out Earthquake's version of it. Doesn't have strings or anything, but really emphasizes that guitar and really energetic performance of it. There's live performance of them doing that on YouTube. In fact, for this particular song, I think they actually do it a lot better than ELO does it. I'll have to listen to that. Yep. Still kind of sounds a little bit like Jerk and Crocus, but yes, it is rather well done from a very unfairly unknown band who was actually rather good. But going on here with the user comments, I got James B. Mort. Excellent jam. Couple question marks and a heart. <laughs> I never, I always read that as excellent jam. I didn't read it as excellent jam? Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if he, he likes it or just is mocking it. I'm not quite sure. I don't know. Or maybe he was just having breakfast. That could be. That could be. (laughs) Emily Volaro said, Bev is adorable. And Terry Muzzy says, he sure is very adorable. Um, you know, for, I'm straight and whatever, but I can see where he'd be adorable. The first time I saw ELO was the Discovery video album on subscription TV. And I knew that the name of the drummer in the band was Bev Bevan. And my mom's name was Beverly. And everybody I ever known, Bev was a girl's name. So when I saw the video, and then there's this person wearing a shirt that's tied in a knot um, over their, their chest, and got long hair, I was still lost at the time. Is that a girl or a guy? I was 10 or 11 at the time, so... Oh, and I guess the uh, Bev Bevan... Adoring goes on. Emily said, uh, cute Bev. You know, you're a darn good-looking fellow. Now we're on to Dreaming of 4000. Pam Van Allen says, Dreaming of 4000 is my all-time favorite ELO song. Both lyrics and music contain layers of complex symbolism based on shamanic tradition. I based a scene on it in my book, Midnight on the Water. I can see that about Dreaming of 4000. I never quite looked at it that way, but I can definitely see it. And her book, Midnight on the Water, it's a story based on the Eldorado album. I've only gotten one chapter into it. Um, I probably should hurry up and read the rest of it. That sounds like something for a future podcast. Yep, and it's uh, you can buy it, too. I think it's on Amazon. More on that when we hit into Eldorado. I might make up like a mini-commercial to stick in the Eldorado episodes. Okay. Colin Lowe's, definitely one of Jeff's best tracks, though Big Wheels is my favorite. And then he continued by saying, Damn, what an annoying and boring narrator. Couldn't stand to hear through the end. Sorry. So, I guess he has issues with you, Eric. I don't know what the deal is. I I don't know if it was me or you or both of us. Well, I looked up his Facebook profile, and not to be vindictive (laughs) or mean, like, Oh yeah? Well, who's this person? Give me some ammunition to use up against him. It's just sometimes people respond, and I'm like, Oh, I wonder what this person is like. And I just kind of check, and, oh, okay. And move on with my life. And in Colin's profile, he described himself as boring old fart. So if he says that we're dull, then I think that really means something coming from someone who's an admitted boring old fart. You are an extremely dull person, an appallingly dull fellow, unimaginative, timid, lacking in initiative, spineless, easily dominated, no sense of humor, tedious company, and irrepressibly drab and awful. Jill Chenault says, I've really been enjoying your podcast, by the way. So um, I think out of the 8,000 listens we've gotten, almost, there may have been two or three people that didn't like what they heard. So I'm doing good, I guess. Yeah, because normally the internet can be very, very um, cruel sometimes. So It sure can. And I would expect a lot more, but it uh, seems like ELO fans, for the most part, aren't big, gaping, you-know-what. So. Frankly, forgive the language. 
He's an asshole. Yeah, for some of the popular songs that I've not liked, uh, 105.38 Overture and, and Showdown, I expected a lot of pushback to like Showdown and 105.38 Overture, but uh, the only time that anybody's ever you know laid into us about a song was when we really laid into Battle of Marston Moor. Apparently somebody out there really liked it and was upset to hear that we don't. Shut your pie hole, you clock-headed simpleton! Somebody called the telephone line voicemail. 623-850-3375 Call now! We have our first oh. voicemail message. Really? Yes, really. Here we go. Hey there, I'm calling about the house you have for real. you please give me a call back? My name is Gary. I appreciate it. What we have right there is a fun phone fail. So there you go. Somebody called the telephone line voicemail. Had nothing to do with ELO. <laughs> calling about a house that he wanted to rent, but there you go. Peep. Somebody called the, the voicemail. Okay. I'm surprised it wasn't somebody trying to tell us that the IRS was going to put us in jail if we didn't suddenly get a bunch of Green Dot cards and pay them. Yes, because the IRS takes payment and gift cards. Yes. <laughs> when he left the message, I was like, why didn't you hang up? It, I mean, the outgoing greeting says, You've reached the telephone line voicemail for Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song -song podcast. Leave a message, and there's a good chance we'll play it on the show. Hello? Album thoughts. What did you think of On the Third Day? This time around, liked it a lot better than I did when I first listened to it, even though my opinion about it being kind of like background music, I think that was because I struggled through the first side. Mm -hmm. And the first side of the album is still kind of a struggle to me, because a lot of it is very dreary, a lot of it just goes on and on and doesn't go anywhere until you get to New World Rising. Yeah. But then the back side second side really picks things up which surprises me since it's kind of in the reverse chronological order of when everything was recorded yeah. so the uh, rather limp sounding first side I'm kind of wondering what was happening with the band where that's the, what we got and then the second side has, has yeah is uh, reminded me of a number of songs that I hadn't even remembered in a long time like Daybreaker and their version of Hall of the Mountain King. Mm -hmm. So I probably, uh, I think I rated it like a three star or something like that. I think uh, Second Side, listening to it again, probably pushes up about another half star. Right. I've been kind of having trouble with this album uh, since I've actually started really putting thought into what do I think of it. In some ways, it's, it's not quite as good as the second album. And then there are other ways where it's better, so I'm kind of, like, lost. Sonically, I think it's much better than the last two albums, which sounded muddy. The sound on this is clearer, it doesn't sound like a mess, so the production of it, I think, has gotten much better. Um, the songs? Yeah, side one, there's, it's like, mostly it's kind of, eh, there, and kind of meandering. There's not really much excitement except for the ocean breakup stuff, and I did like the New World Rising. Side 2, definitely better, even though I'm not wild about Dreaming of 4000. So it's it's kind of like a, a, a Halloween bag. You get some M&Ms and some Twix and some Kit Kats in there, but you also get a bunch of those marshmallow peanuts in there too that uh, you don't really want. So it's like, I don't want to say it, give it like a higher rating than ELO 2, but I also don't want to give it a lower rating than ELO 2, so... Um... 2.8? I think I gave ELO 2 a 3, so it's kind of... I feel bad for saying it's worse, but I also didn't don't think it was better... in some ways, so... It's kind of tough for me for where to put it, but that's where I just put it. 2.8-ish. I kind of agree. It's not really that much of a... of going forward from the last album. Other than production-wise, yes, I do agree, it's quite a bit clearer. Even though, yeah, my problem still with stuff like Bluebird is Dead is very muffled vocals and uh, just kind of there. <laughs> yeah. To me, this album has sort of always just been a placeholder. It's like it's True. between ELO2 and Eldorado. I, I like it. There have been times in my life when I thought, I'd like to hear On the Third Day. 
and I will listen to it much more than once. But it's kind of an eh. And I'm sure this is most likely because I know what's coming next, that maybe this album just sort of has a feel like, all right, you know what? I've done all I can with this two cellos and a violin part of the orchestra, so we're not doing this anymore. We're gonna. This is going to be our last album like this, and we're going to move on. Coming to think of it, though, a little bit of rearranging. Say if you did the Ocean Breakup and went in right into Dreaming of 4000, and then into New World Rising, and then the other Ocean Breakup part, and then maybe Daybreaker. Mm-hmm. Move some of that stuff to the first side. Skip some of the really dull songs on the first side. Yeah. Um, add every Everybody's Born to Die. Add that back into the mix. And then start off Ma 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 Bell on the second side and then go through a lot of the other harder rocking songs and still end it with Hall of the Mountain King. Yeah, I really dig that. But, yeah, I know he was probably trying to do a suite or something like that, but it didn't really work too well. So in Showdown, you asked what's with pointing at the belly buttons, and that's something I've always wondered about. Do they have some sort of secret messages? Or the, the belly button f- from within comes without or something? Does it have some deep meaning? But in Bev Bevan's book, The Electric Light Orchestra Story, which only goes up to about 1980, Bevan wrote about it. When a photographer called Richard Avendon was asked to do a picture which could be used for an album cover, he probably thought, what the hell am I going to do with this lot? He arranged the studio lighting, someone else actually pressed the camera shutter, and said, I want you all to point at your belly buttons. So we did. The picture became the cover for our next album on the third day and it was supposed to have some deep meaning among many ELO followers. The simple truth is that we were bearing our stomachs because Richard Avenden told us to do so. And that's it. There's there's the meaning behind the belly button pointing. Yeah, I kind of fear that it was something along those lines, because when I read about who actually did the photograph and everything, I was, oh, okay, he probably just had them point at their belly buttons. (laughs) Record company said, okay, that's it. Let's print this thing and get them out there. So we're moving on to album facts, and this is something I came up with and um, thought I probably should have done this as soon as we started. It seems so obvious, and yet I completely missed it. So when we do our bonus tracks episode, give the album facts, the release date, and how the album charted. Fortunately, I came up with it three albums in, so we're going to make up for that now. Eric goes first, with No Answer or Electric Light Orchestra, depending on what country you bought the album in. The first album was released on December 1st, 1971 in the UK and March 1972 in the US and achieved number 32 on the UK charts, made it up to 196 with a bullet in the US and Australia it got up to number 54. Electric Light Orchestra 2 was released in the United Kingdom in January 1973 and in March 1973 in the United States. It reached number 35 in the UK, number 62 in America, and number 17 in Canada. And on the third day was released in November of 1973. It got all the way up to number 52 in the US, but the UK was not impressed. It did not chart whatsoever. Australia got up to number 46, and Canada got up to number 40. And on that joyous note, let us get on with the show. Dancing at that moving picture award. Some scenario, great big star paraded round the hall. Ecstasy in blue. Yeah. Eric saw it a couple weeks ago. I finally saw it yesterday. It's pretty much standard issue 70s porn. Lots of hair. Lots of bad acting. There were some amusing parts as far as the ELO music goes. I never thought of the beginning of Daybreaker as dun-dun-da betrayal-revealed music. Because there's one part where the cult leader has a husband and the girl's brother chained up and the cult leader says... Oh, you'd be happy to know she's really good at what we've been doing. And in walks the wife slash sister and up starts Daybreaker. I thought the uh, music for In the Hall of the Mountain King, the quiet part at the start, uh, I thought that pretty much kind of went along with the story the girl was talking about this one time at uh, summer camp. Yeah, different than the one time at band camp, just so you know. Yeah. There was that and the very beginning with the use of Fire on High. Mm-hmm. That's where I thought that the director actually did something 
with it because you've got the introduction music, you've got the stained glass window in the credits, and then you've got the dialogue and going over all the candles lit and everything, and it actually looks like an attempt at filmmaking. Yes. Too bad the rest of the movie wasn't like that. And then it gets going. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like uh, near the end, he was just throwing in random ELO songs because when the music ran out for In the Hall of the Mountain King and the big naughty orgy scene at the end, it ends, and then from out of nowhere, the middle of Manhattan Rumble? Uh, Manhattan Rumble, yes. Yeah. So it's like, yep. I don't know what else. Uh, I don't know. Give me that one. We'll put. We'll, we'll splice that in. Yep. The only other part I really liked in there is there's kind of like a very slow bathing scene. <laughs> but that doesn't have any ELO music to it. I, so. Yeah, what I thought was kind of <laughs> funny is they had wacky synthesized versions of what's new pussycat in there yeah <laughs> I thought that was kind of silly then a breakaway scene that used the uh, music from the end of carrie <laughs> where uh the uh girls having the dream sequence and walking up to uh the cross before the audience ends up jumping the hell out of their seats at the end so see now i would like to find the soundtrack to this movie i like the music in it it's not funky porn music or bow chicka wow wow that you always hear this is music that would be good for silly beds. The silly um, synthesizer, What's New Pussycat. There was kind of a light, jazzy sort of song with women going, la, 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 in it. That's the one from Carrie, yes. Oh, okay. See, that's yeah. a perfect yeah. music for background music for beds and stuff like that. Boy, it sure was 1976 in one of those apartments. Oh, yeah. Somebody really liked macrame and hanging plants. <laughs> Yes, it was also 1976 in a lot of ways in that film as well. Yeah. If you want to see it, um... It's there. <laughs> God give you the strength to get through it. And all its shower-clogging gory. I mean, yeah. shower-clogging glory. Yep. I mean, it's mid-70s <laughs> porn, so don't expect Citizen Kane. Don't even expect Citizen Wang. I'm a 400-pound hunk of burning love. Easy money. So the Patreon site that I had set up for this podcast from the beginning but never really said much about it because I didn't have I didn't have an, I still don't have much of an idea for premiums. It's there. If you want to contribute to the show, we have a Patreon site. And for a dollar, we'll mention your name on the show. Or you can do that for free by leaving a comment on one of our episodes. Uh, there are three bumper stickers to choose from. That's for the $5 donation, and you're probably saying $5 for a bumper sticker? You think of it like PBS. You give $50 to help produce quality entertainment, and you get a $3 coffee mug out of it. And that's pretty much all I got over there for now. Trying to think of other things that we could, you know, give away with donations. Well, at some point we may be able to give them a a signed copy of a cease and desist letter. I, you know, sure. Just uh, Xerox that off. I'm sure probably have Jeff Lynn's autograph on that. That'd be pretty cool. True. Or at least his attorneys. That's attorneys. That's the, yeah. <laughs> at least that's a connection to Jeff Lynn that I actually would have. True. Pam Van Allen did give money to the show. She gave what she could, and that was very nice of her. There's a PayPal link, which is not working at Podomatic. But I set up a PayPal account just specifically for the show because I was going to give that PayPal account out. And I thought, I I don't think I want to give out my personal email address on the Internet because that's where my own personal PayPal account is. So I set up one just for the show. And it's our email address. E-L-O-F-T-M podcast at gmail.com. So if you want to give to the show, give to the show. Bulletin, bulletin. This is a bulletin. Today we have news. All right, so I've made an executive decision about the podcast. Okay. When I hatched the idea in November, you know, every single song, and then I was thinking, does that include live albums? Are we going to cover The Night the Light Went On in Long Beach? Are we going to be able to say things about songs we already said stuff about? But also there are songs on the album that aren't on any other ELO album anywhere. But if we cover that one, don't we have to cover all the live albums? I think there's one from San Francisco. Uh, I think there's one from the Zoom tour. There's Wembley or Bust. So I have been going back and forth in my head. Sure, you should do it. Just do them all. Maybe we can find something to talk about the live versions. No, no, no. Why don't you just talk about that song? You don't. So it's been back and forth in my head. Do it or don't do it. Up until halfway through, do it on the third day. So I was trying to decide one more time because we're getting close up to it. And I saw that Wembley or Bust has about 30 tracks on there. 
and I do not want to spend the last 30 weeks of this podcast talking about songs we've already talked about. So I said, okay, we're just going to do The Night the Light Went On in Long Beach. That's the only live album we'll cover. We'll do Handle With Care from Wembley or Bust because it hasn't been on any other ELO album. And I kind of think that The Night the Light Went On in Long Beach is a good live album to cover. It's not a good live album, but it comes at a point where it's a nice spot to sort of review where we've been because ELO will never sound like this again. From Eldorado on, they sound like a completely different band. So any live album after Eldorado, it's just their songs are pretty much going to sound like not too far off from what we heard on the albums. It'll just have a stadium sound added to it. So I think Long Beach is a good place to pause, review, this is what they've been, Now we're going to get on to the really good stuff after this. So after this, I know people have been waiting for Eldorado. I've been waiting for Eldorado. But one more album, and then we hit Eldorado. They never reached Eldorado. (laughs) It was a myth. Eldorado sounds like someplace I better find a burrito. (laughs) (laughs) And from what I know about it, it's a city of gold, so there'll probably be golden burritos. Which is something that I think they may have done in Ecstasy and Blue, the golden burrito. Uh, yeah. I just makes me sick to my stomach. I try and keep each episode between 10 and 15 minutes, no longer than 15 minutes, because I don't have the attention span to listen to long podcasts. Like this one. Like this one has turned into. (laughs) This is going to be severely edited, I would hope. Yeah, so stuff gets cut out. So the stuff that gets cut out winds up in our bonus tracks episodes. So here's the stuff that didn't make it into the full episodes of our songs from On the Third Day. Showdown! And uh, one of the drawbacks, at times, rarely though, for this podcast is when we're doing a song, the whole week I have that song running through my head. So this whole week I've had (laughs) Showdown running through my head. Well, yesterday, before I uh, did my usual listen, even though if I've heard the song a million times, I still listen to it before we do the podcast. Oh, yeah, me too. But I walk into the grocery store, and guess what's on the PA? Showdown. Wow. So I just start strutting through the grocery store towards the coffee. <laughs> Showing what a manly man I am. Oh, well, actually, no, because that would be douchey. So. <laughs> I've never heard it in a grocery store heard other yellow yep. songs but never that one yeah no i was kind of surprised because i was gonna be coming home five minutes later to listen to it and all of a sudden i just walk in the grocery store and it's playing <laughs> he re- remade it for the um 2012 elo remake album and much like 10538 overture it sounds kind of xerox of a xerox yeah i can imagine it just sounds like an old guy trying to redo his song yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Trying to recapture glory days. Well, hey, wait a minute. We're getting we're getting towards that point. <laughs> yeah, you just wait until I remake my parodies that I did when I was 13 years old. It's gonna sound great when a 40 year old man who gets karaoke versions of top 40 hits starts singing about how much he hates his junior high school. <laughs> or I'm just waiting for you to buy a motorcycle and uh, got taller for a 19 year old. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I'm too much of a wuss for a motorcycle. I think a scooter is... Smart to ever dump somebody as good as taller. Uh, and there's also that that I was going to get to. I think a scooter suits me more, and yeah, um, I'd be a stone-cold idiot to uh, screw things up with Tulla, so I think we'll leave it as it is right now. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, I think, we're, I think we've drifted. I think so. I think we've got what we've got to got. We got what we got what we need. Yeah. Ocean Breaker, King of the Universe. And uh, yeah, looking back at the previous album, um, we were talking about how they had the star form and everything. It turns out, yeah, looking at it, that was not the uh, middle of the gatefold of the British. There was not a star form and a women's undercarriage and anything. Yes. But it was even worse. <laughs> it was them. Kind of in, if, if you know the Cactus or Orleans albums you run into in the thrift store, with them all with their shirts off and kind of gathered together naked, <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of what the inside of ELO2 is, so I was wondering, hmm, hmm. 
the whole trend of wanting to see hairy 70s guys. I, <laughs> I don't know. It must, it must have been sexy back then, I, I guess. I guess. Uh... And this, this neatly segues into the next thing I wanted to bring up. This is another song that was in that 1976 porn movie, Ecstasy in Blue. But yeah, the, the, I know porn movies were a big deal in the 70s, but yeah, they've shown in special theaters. What are the chances that somebody who works for ELO or Jet Records or whoever is going to see it and get back to Jeff? Jeff, did, did you know that your songs are being used while a woman is being molested against her will? And then lawsuits start from there. Yeah, right. it's much it's much easier now for something to get out there and shoot back quickly to whoever doesn't want that associated with that, and then lawyers start leaping out of closets everywhere. Right, the problem comes now when they do re-releases of films like that, which John Waters has run into that a few times, because his movies played in small art places and uh, uh, usually got banned everywhere anyway, so... Yeah. He used other people's he used music in there without permission, but then when he had to re-release, like when I saw the re-release of Pink Flamingos, there's a scene in there where a man uses a part of an opening on his body to um, go in rhythm to the Trashman Surfer Bird. And, uh, well, <laughs> the, the, the uh, Surfing Bird was not in the re-release because I'm sure that, uh, well, I know most of that band is still alive and I'm sure they went... <clears throat> Yeah, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> what we want people to think of when they hear Surfing Bird. Yeah. Family Guy, okay. Exactly. The guy with things dancing around in his openings. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. not good with that. <laughs> yeah. So it's not it's not anything new to see some to see something like that from the seventies. You don't. It's stuff that you really don't get away with now. Where if you have a song playing in the background as your kids doing a dance, all of a sudden. ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC are all over you wanting mm -hmm. their publishing rights. Yeah, yeah. Or they take down your innocent little video, or YouTube, and, and then the RIAA is coming after you, and it's, it's yeah, it's gotten refrigandiculous. Yep. Which is what I'm hoping doesn't happen with this particular podcast. <laughs> I'm hoping. I mean, we only do snippets of songs, so I'm hoping that passes. No, wait, we can because I figured this out in my head. This is my excuse. Fair use. Mm -hmm. We are using this to review and educate. We're using clips. So that is covered in the fair use uh, law. So in my legal mind, which I have zero training in, I have a broadcasting degree. We're fine. We're fine until somebody sues us. Until lawyers start coming around, <laughs> then yeah. But yeah. Yeah. We're, we're no, I've, I've heard people do worse. I've heard people violate copyrights uh, left and right and do a whole lot worse. Oh, so. yes. And they should be grateful. We're, we're helping further to promote ELO and get it out there. And what with Madeline, exposing ELO to a new generation who will continue to hopefully buy their music. Yeah, just hopefully that they, Jeff Lynn will never want to expose his belly button to anybody again. <laughs> Don't... I think at this age, I don't think he wants to open up his shirt. <laughs> so, he's, uh, he's about 70, yeah, he's 70 and a half years old now. So, yeah, probably yeah. Want to keep, he probably wants to keep that closed. And I haven't seen it since, yeah. so 1973. So, he's probably fine with keeping that under wraps. Right. We're way off target, and I think we have uh, gone, I think we've given King of the Universe a lot more than it deserves. Yeah, we've definitely gone on longer with plenty of stuff to fit in the podcast and plenty of stuff to fit in the outtakes when exactly we... bluebird is dead the uk version i should say did not have um showdown on it simply because well showdown was never intended to be on an album and also it this is where they switched record companies in the uk so showdown was on the previous record company harvest and this one was on their new one, which I'm taking, I, I'm assuming United Artists was started distributing both in the UK and the US on this at this particular point. Nope, um, they moved to Warner Brothers. It was Warner in the UK. Um, yeah, I mean, I know it. It was for On the Third Day and uh, the Night the Light Shined On, um, or the Night the Light Shined On in Long Beach, something like that. Okay. I don't have the album title in front of me. 
Um, but I think that may have been it. I think when El Dorado came around, then they went to UA in England. Something we'll look up when we get to El Dorado. Yeah, because I know UA by the mid '70s had an English division because I have UA stuff. I mean, UA stuff from the UK in my collection. So uh, not ELO stuff, but new wave stuff and some other weird pro- progressive stuff. That uh, well, that if you're if you're an electrical light orchestra person and you think that electrical light orchestra is weird, well, it, it'll burn your hair off. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have the British version of. A few ELO albums, not all of them, and in my head, I can't think of seeing El Dorado on the Warner Brothers label. I see it on Jet or UA, depending on which year it was released or re-released, but I can't, I, I, I don't really see in my head Warner Brothers with the El Dorado title on it, so but I could be wrong. Okay, well I think that's about all we have to say about Bluebird is Dead, and we, put, and we buried it, put it to rest. Yeah, yeah. In a little box out back. Yeah. There's really not much I can think to say about this song, except that it was, eh, it has its good points, but it's kind of a song that's just there. There it is, right right over there. And without a whoop. Oh no, not Susan! They started censoring Pink Floyd's money on radio. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. Radio here in America has been taken over by the money-grubbing corporations who, you know, it's all about product. I mean, I'm not saying that radio has always been pure and innocent and never about making money, but when there were DJs, the DJs did care about the music. So, yeah. Right. I I remember uh, Dave Pratt, a local DJ in Arizona, who was on uh, a station called KUPD Forever. Um, his attitude was, um, I'm making enough money here, I'll pay the fine, and I'll just play the record. <laughs> yeah. He was getting fined for everything he said anyways, practically, so... Pretty much, he should have been fined for his radio show. Uh, hey! I know. That was one it... of the best shows ever. The <laughs> best radio shows ever. Nobody but... is better than Jonathan Brammeyer. Or was. And after the show... Dr. Demento. Dr. Demento. He was good, and he still is good. Yep. Yep. Her money but, and her face just don't mean a fluent thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, because I think that's probably how he got away with it. It was, I mean, one, it wasn't on the lyric sheet, so of course people at the radio, uh, doing programming at the radio station who um, usually um, spend about 15 minutes trying to figure out why the door is not opening if the, you don't put a push sign on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're sitting there going, it's not in the lyric sheet, so it's not there. It's not there. I'm hearing it wrong. Yep. Maybe he's just a, maybe he's just a rock and roll scatting, you know. Exactly. Like the ooh or yeah, yeah or something. He's just, he's just making up a gibberish to fill a, a hole in the song there. Exactly. So that's really, yeah, we've spent a lot of time on that because that's really the only thing remarkable about Oh No, Not Susan. Yeah, pretty much. You were wise, but face. I'm saying so far because um, I, well, I always like Showdown off the American version, like we've said before, and uh, I'm trying to remember if I like Ma 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 Bell, how much how much I like it. Right. Because I know I like it, but I know it's got that whole ending part where where it's the vocals are separated from the rest of the music, so I have to hear it again to really give a full opinion on that but right. but what do I know I'm not a record executive in 1974 73 true if you were um... I'd probably be dead from a coke overdose at this point <laughs> that's what I was thinking <laughs> <laughs> this uh, podcast would be going a lot differently from you um, just jabbering away at a million miles an hour about how um, everybody's a cop or something like that mm-hmm. you're not a narc are you because you have short hair. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you better tell me if you're a cop, because you have to. Otherwise, it's entrapment. Damn. Got me with your legal mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> Which, just in case anybody's listening who thinks that that's a true thing, it's not. Nope. <laughs> nope. You got a lot of legal work ahead of you if you're going to claim entrapment. Exactly. So... 
Just don't do drugs. Or uh, just only do the ones that uh, you see advertised on television, which are worse for you than the ones that everybody told you not to do. <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> I think we've gotten off topic because I think yeah. we've probably run out of things to say about the song. I really didn't have... Mama, Mama. It's the only song they've ever done that sounds like Brandy. No other song that they've done sounds like their one hit. Who? <laughs> Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a... Okay, good no, wife, it's you just be. that you broke up, and I was like... Okay. I, that's the only Brandy song I know, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, I've, 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 I've heard albums where the big hit sounded nothing like what the band sounds like. Exactly. Bourgeois Tag in 1987, they had a really nice a song that I really like called um, I Don't Mind At All, which is a nice acoustic-sounding song, and I thought it was great. Didn't get very high on the charts. And I, I got the album, and I listened to it, it's like, this sounds nothing like this song. It sounds very 1987 poppy, unlike the hit from it. Yeah, which I think a lot of people bought Modern English's album after hearing I Melt With You and found out that they were kind of on the goth side. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're yeah. a little bit surprised, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and with Showdown, it took me 34 years to finally hear, oh yeah, heard it through the grapevine. Whereas when I went to check out Jerk and Crocus, I was, oh yeah, that's Ma 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 Bell. Because at that particular point, production on it and everything was so much grander than this one or the original Move version that was di- it was different at the time. So it had it, it's still one of my favorite ELO songs. Even though I know it was a Move song originally, it's still one of my favorite ELO songs. Yeah, I I think he definitely improved on it but when he remade it in 76 and I don't want to get too far into it and stray from this song into another song that we're not going to do for until you've actually got this charted out don't you until um oh wow on my birthday May 11th 2019 Jesus oh. Christ I'll be 50 years old which is older than Jesus Christ ever got and I think you pissed off more people uh, it's 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 kind of a contest as to who I've cheesed off most. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I do because I was just curious. When are we gonna get to this song? When are we gonna get to this? And how long is this sh- podcast gonna go on for? And it's like, when are we gonna get to the good songs? <laughs> yeah, that too. When are we gonna hit El Dorado? Exactly. Which will be not too long from now. No. October 27th, the first Eldorado episode will load. Because he wants to go through a live album. I do, yeah. And we'll discuss that when we get to the, on the third day bonus tracks. Two <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was like yeah, I thought, I, thought, I, thought he, I thought he passed away earlier than that. Yeah. Because, because really, T-Rex is one of those first bands where almost every member was dead by the end of the 70s. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a bad thing to laugh at, but yeah. Yeah, that was that, they were a trivia question for a while on that, unfortunately. They were a good band, so... Yeah, no, I That's what I say. Them. Unfortunately, they were actually a good band. And, uh, and it was sad, sad to see him, see him go because Mark Boland was really an innovator in a lot of ways. It's not thinking. Surprisingly, I am not doing podcast work on my wedding day or honeymoon, so... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I thought your I thought your new wife would be all for that and so excited to find out you wanted to do a podcast <laughs> on your honeymoon. Well, fortunately, I went out she... with friends on her birthday one time, and that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, she, I still haven't forgotten that after twenty years. So, <laughs> wow. uh... <laughs> well, fortunately, she's a good egg. So even if I did say, "Let me talk to Eric when we get this recording down." Uh, she wouldn't be upset. She'd probably just go off and find something to do in, in New, New Hampshire or Vermont, wherever we'll be. But I still... I would like a vacation from everything, and this would be a nice way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and also um, during a number... Yeah, it's kind of like a, um, a lesbian scene that devolves, that devolves into an orgy. Mm, it's seventies porn. Yeah, it's it, but it but it's used here. It is used during a sex scene in the movie. Yes, 
It's very 70s, so there are sightings of Sasquatch, or I, I think that, or that may have been one of the actors. Uh, let's just say that he's hairier than you or me. And considering how hairy I am, I am part Italian, so that's that's pretty hairy. Yeah, no, th- this this guy this guy could have probably got. And that would have led to a whole different kind of porn movie. One, yeah, I. I wasn't exactly the happiest to see this one, but, uh, yeah, I would not have wanted to see that version either. Mm-hmm. Well. But, uh, no, we, yeah, we will get more into it, um, uh, and as, after we start discussing the, uh, bonus track part here. Because at that point we'll have both seen it, and we can both, uh, go... <sighs> Well, that's something that's not scrubbed from my brain. That's that's going to stick forever. <laughs> yes. Every time I hear... I don't know. I think they picked something from El Dorado on there. No, they don't have anything from El Dorado. Good. Uh, they have mainly stuff from On the Third Day, and then they have Fire on High from Face the Music. Now, Fire on High is used wonderfully in there, but again, um, yeah, it's... They, it's obvious that the director was was knowing what type of music he was using this wasn't like they just threw in ELO it's right. actually it's he actually intended to use these particular songs in these particular sing, scenes and he also stole uh, um, some music from Walter Carlos or sorry I should say Wendy Carlos I, I always think Walter at that particular time, point in time Wendy afterwards but officially everything's been renamed Wendy um, oh and I gotcha now yeah, um, and then the ending part where his hand comes out of the grave at the end of Carrie. Sorry if I just ruined Carrie for everybody who hasn't seen it over Spoiler. the last few years. But they play it, steal some of that music for uh, a scene as well. So basically, it's a it's an entire mess of uh, copyright violations. But it's interesting. <laughs> well, the Wendy Carlos part is one of the few parts in the movie I actually enjoyed, but um, because it's not at least until, at least until. Uh, the main actor shows up to do his thing, but... Well, if someday, if Jeff finds our podcast, and maybe if we could get him on the show, I'd like to ask him, did he know... I'm sure by this point he knows, yes. but at the time, did he know that his songs were going to be used in in a porn movie? So, something to keep in mind when we do our Jeff Lynn episode. I got nothing much else for this song. Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast, is a production of Radio Trolla Entertainment Assorted Deli Meats Amalgamated. You can contact us by voicemail at 623-850-3375 or email us at eloftmpodcast at gmail.com. Keep up to date on the show by joining our Facebook group and spread the word about the show by sharing the link or giving us a quick rating on iTunes. You can financially support the podcast and get some goodies at patreon.com slash ELOPod. Next week, episode 024, Daybreaker Live.